Hey, Maniacs, before we get to episode two, Written in Blood, Brian Clapper Sweat Soup, we just wanted to say thank you for all the kind words and posts people have made, especially on the Midsummer groups on Facebook and the subreddit. You have all had some very kind words for us, and we just wanted to say thank you right off the top. Also, we are very pleased to see that we're getting listeners not only from the UK and the US, but Canada, Germany, Norway, and Australia. We are touched and blown away by your insightful comments and love. It's nice to know that we're not the only maniacs out there. And now, on to episode two. Enjoy. Scum. Scum. Scumbag. Scumbag. Scum. The repetitive beat of the inner city drum. Scumbag. 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 Welcome to Scum. Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. The podcast for people who are maniacs about midsummer murders. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. Caught in the middle of a drink. Yep. <laughs> We're here for week two. Week two, written in blood. The the first season of Midsummer has probably some of the best characters in the in the whole series. Like how I qualified that? Probably some of maybe. When I think about all of the funny quotes that we have around our house all of the little things from Midsummer that have stuck in our minds. It's amazing how many of them are from this first season. And so many things, you you look back and you're like, oh, I wonder what episode this and this and this is in, and it's all, all the same episode. from the episode. same episode. <laughs> they crammed so much in. So just before we begin, uh, just a reminder that if you let your kids watch the show, they can listen to the podcast, but if they're too young for the show, they're probably too young for the podcast. Pretty good rule of thumb. Written in Blood was filmed in July and August of 97. This is almost a whole year after the pilot, which is why Troy's hair is so different. It's not any better, though. No. It's like it's still split down the middle, but now it curls more. Yep. Like they told him not to get a haircut. And he didn't. And he didn't. (laughs) Then it was broadcast on the 22nd of March, 1998, so basically a year after the first episode. And that gets us started on what is truly a midsummer, based on a book by Carolyn Graham, of course. Uh, But this book in 1994, so this is not the second book in the series. Oh, so they skipped over some? Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder why. No idea. Once again, directed by Jeremy Silberson... And co-authored by Anthony Horowitz again, like the first episode, like the pilot. All the players are back that we know. Barnaby, Troy, Joyce, Cully, and Dr. Bullard. Dr. Bullard. But we have some amazing guest stars in this episode. They stand out, right? So rather than going through the plot completely, we're going to say, if you haven't seen this episode, as usual, pause right now, go watch it. Then come back. Um, you will be able to follow this a lot better if you've seen the episode. And if you saw it when it aired originally, you're really old. No, um, I was not. I was in college, at least when it aired the first time. But you should have watched it recently. Or if you've got a good memory, you'll be fine. Before we get into the stars or the plot or anything, I think the stars that we need to talk about with each episode are... Two things. One relates to this episode and the other 
doesn't relate to this episode, but will eventually. The first one is, this is a different village, right? Yes. So this is Midsummer Worthy. Mm-hmm. Usually, when we cover these episodes, there will be a pub that is somehow related to the story of the episode. But first two episodes, no pubs. Yeah, later on, they fall in love with pubs. There's always some kind of aptly named pub. But not this time. Not in Midsummer Worthy. It's a place for writer's circles and bingo games and fets. Yes. <laughs> we start off with the title card, like we did the last time with the sort of watery blood. And we are presented with bucolic fields of Southern Ireland in 1955 near Doro. And a little boy picks up a shotgun Walks up to his dad's room. Oh, his dad is so gross. You don't even have to find out that he was sexually abusing that little boy later. You just know it because he's just so nasty. We also named his child Liam, which I got to say, it's not the best name. We might have listeners named Liam. I'm sure they we do, but it doesn't fit this character. Well, he changes it. Okay. So it's okay. Liam shoots his dad with a shotgun and then runs away. Kablamo. Like right away. Cold opening. What cold opening? No. It's a hot opening. <laughs> but we don't get to see his dad dead. We nope. just know that he's like, Liam, Liam. We, there's no doubt about what the little boy's name is. Nope. Because his dad shots it at least six times. And this little boy has blonde hair and blue fair eyes. skin and blue eyes. And we'll see later on why that's important. So then we cut to the village. Yes. Right? And there's no titles. Again, There's no. there's none of these... Uh, cute little village illustrations. No, they moved away from those, which I think is good because they certainly didn't match that title card. I thought they were the whole first season. No, they're just in the pilot. I thought it was the whole first season. I may be wrong. I looked on four different streaming services to see (laughs) if there were those credits and they weren't there on anything. So we enter the village of Midsummer Worthy and we see a sign with the village information on it, which includes the writer circle, which we'll come back to, and their first meeting, well, not their first meeting, their next meeting meeting on the 14th of June, 1997. Also on this board is a sign for Keep Fit for the Over 50s. And a Gilbert and Sullivan Society. Uh, They are performing Pirates of Penzance. There's bingo at the Village Hall on the 11th of July, but... So they made these four great signs, and then they kind of got lazy, because the last sign says, Jumbo Sale, here. (laughs) No date, no nothing. Now, I have to tell you guys, so we, of course, we've seen the episode many times, but when we're prepping for an episode of the podcast, we we each watch it, and we watch it together. And this is the kind of midsummer nerd that Mark is. He pauses the show so he can read the flyers on the village sign. <laughs> Somebody worked very hard for those flyers. Not on the last one. Not on the last one. <laughs> but the Pirates of Penzance one in particular is it has very a, well done. It has done. a pirate flag on it with Jolly Roger and everything. It's very well done. Yeah. And then... And the people who created the material props for this episode worked very hard. They did. So. And then we get this kind of montage of the main characters. They introduce all of the writers to us. As they're writing. We get to see them in situ as they write. So Gerald Hadley's cleaning lady leaves the house 
and he's typing away on his old computer with the giant monitor, tick-tick-tick-tack, and he's writing a spy novel. So it's got gunplay, and there's all sorts of interesting things. Okay, so speaking of gunplay, in my little research to find out interesting things, one of the things that I found out was the caliber of bullet that he claims this guy shot, the bad guy shoots at the good guy, and he misses his shoulder by like two inches. I think he says it's a .35 millimeter, which is like elephant shot. Oh. Like, it's so big, it couldn't miss you by two inches. I think the the, the bullet is like two inches across. I don't across. know about that, because like a police gun's a thirty-eight. Yeah, but that doesn't, I don't know a lot about guns, but. And a twenty-two is a small shell. Right. But I looked it up, and it said that whatever caliber he said, it was big. Okay. I should have made a better note of it. Okay. But anyway. So then we're introduced to our next character, which is Laura Hutton, and she's writing her romance novel. <laughs> she's walking down the street imagining the silk nightshirts and stuff. <laughs> and the, uh, the excitement of the kiss and all sorts of things like that. And then we are given another gift. Brian, Brian and Sue Clapper. If, I mean, Honoria Lydiard is incredible. Second only to Honoria yes. is Brian. Yes. So Brian begins with his dramatic reading as he's typing. Now, I've written some things. I've even taught creative writing classes. And at no point have I said, as you type, write say it but he's writing a play so maybe yeah so he says the following scum scum scumbag scumbag scum the repetitive beat of the inner city drum (laughs) as he drums on the table as he drums on the table and then he fi- he finishes off with scumbag, 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 scum. And he... He may as well be describing himself. <laughs> very pleased with himself, though. But then Sue, Sue, his wife, who's wonderful. Sue? She's, she's writing a children's novel about a dragon named Hector. And she's just so happy. And she has gigantic glasses. And she's made Hector like a paper mache like version. And she's doing the art of the book. She is by far the greatest creator we've seen yeah. so far. And she leans over his shoulder to read what's on his screen. And she's so delightful because she's like, scum, scumbag, scumbag, scum. It's a little repetitive, isn't it? (laughs) Which is the most critical thing she says to him the entire time. He's so mean to her all the time. Now, before we go on, though, we should say Brian is played... By David Troughton, is that what you, how you would yes. say his name? Yes, David Troughton, who is the son of the second doctor. Doctor, yeah, more Doctor Who, and he was on Doctor Who a whole bunch. Yeah, probably some nepotism there. I understand, but <laughs> and his sons are—he has two sons that are actors, yeah. and one son that's a cricket player. His son that's the actor—I think his name is Sam—that you probably know him the best. 
for Chernobyl and the forest, and he's been in a couple of things. But so so David Troughton is playing this despicable, sweaty, greasy, pedophile teacher. I mean, he's just so thoroughly gross and played by an actor who is so talented. Like he is one of the preeminent Shakespearean actors in the UK. Absolutely. He's a very good actor. And I watched an interview with him about a play he's doing about home children that he saves as an as a widower in the north of England. And he's just the most wonderful warm man you could ever imagine. Which he means said, he's just a really good actor because he grosses you out. He, he's like, I'm surrounded by such talent. They all pull me along. And like he's, <laughs> it's, it's not fake sincerity. It's real sincerity. He just seems to be a very nice man who in this particular version of Midsummer, he's in others. He plays quite the scumbag. <laughs> scum he's he's one of uh several bit parts in this episode who then return in other episodes playing different characters yes definitely and very different you know very different characters so the next person we're introduced to you is honoria oh anna massey honoria lydiard lydiard so Anna Massey is just fantastic. Every show that you could ever imagine she's been in, especially ITV shows. She uh, She's in Lewis and Morse and I mean yeah. She may has she been in Endeavor yet? Not that I can remember. Okay. I think because she died in so 2011. She's very few people I think only Thursdays the only one who's been in Morse, Endeavor and Lewis. Yeah. So but she's, oh, she's so great. And she's so thoroughly nasty again. But she's a different flavor of nasty. She is. First of all, she has a giant typewriter. Now, you're, you're going to learn. <laughs> I'm a typewriter nerd. My Twitter handle is typewriter. I like the typewriters. I have too many typewriters. And I was desperate for her to, like, I was like, push the camera in so I can see that type. No, they don't. So... I don't understand something about their house. Okay? okay. Later on, she says she's working in the study. Mm -hmm. But this is clearly a dining room. Yes. And she is at the dining room table. So does she have multiple rooms that she writes in? Well, or? their study may have a big table in it. A lot of old houses like, was it called Gresham Hall? Where they're yes, at? Yes, they're at Gresham Hall. Yeah. A lot of old houses like that had big studies that were libraries and they had big tables in them like you would in a library. But this, like, there's a, like a place to put dining stuff in the back. Like a buffet or something? Yeah, like a buffet. So I think, I, I don't know. But to say that the house is disarrayed or in disarray, you know, Never mind the fact that there's a body upstairs. Oh. But Honoria's typing away. Anna Massey, another interesting thing about her that I, can, I can't ever get over is that she was married to Jeremy Brett, who in my head is Sherlock Holmes. When I yes. think of Sherlock Holmes, it's Jeremy Brett's face I he see. He's in the long-running Sherlock Holmes series that's very true to the books. He's, he's quintessential. And yeah, they were married for four years. Yeah. That and must have been fun. That must have been quite a ride. <laughs> so we meet Honoria, and then we meet and her. And she's writing a family history. 
of the Lydiards. It's the Lydiards, and she lists off a bunch are of Lydiards. Above reproach. A bunch of Lydiards, and including her favorite, her brother Ralph. And we meet her sister-in-law. Amy. And this is where, when I was watching this the first time, and we'll get into Honoria's insanity later on, but this is where I noticed Ralph died. They have no children. Mm-hmm. Honoria isn't going to marry anybody. No. And Amy is not going to marry anybody again. No. So the Lydiard name is dying with these two ladies. Yeah. It, it's it's over. There are no other siblings. Honoria and Ralph were it, right? It, as far as we know. That's as far as we know. And I, I think that plays into her insanity later on. She's plain crazy. You can give it whatever reason you want. I don't think anything explains it, but I'm sure it contributed to it. So now we're moved to the writer's group, which is really an amazing and beautiful, inciting incident that is the biggest red herring ever. (laughs) The whole writer's group thing is, it's not not needed. And I think it's great how they make us concentrate on the writer's group. Yeah. But in the end, it's of little value to the to the main crime. There's lots of crimes going on yeah. here. But it's, it, it's a weird mix of people. You've got somebody writing a romance, somebody writing a family history. Amy's not writing anything as far as we know, except maybe some poetry that she mentions. She mentioned. just goes. But probably because Honoria makes her. Are you going to tell Honoria no? Yeah, no. No, I'm not. And then you've got Brian and Sue. They're just this weird mix of people. And Gerald, who in a small village, I'm sure, I guess you don't have as many people to choose from about who you're going to hang out with. And it's clearly an open writer's group. Anybody's welcome to come. They've got the flyer on the sign and everything. But wow, could you get a more unlikely mix of people? So now I want to get to something that really upsets me. Oh, okay. Okay. Brian is horrible. He's horrible to his students. He's a lech. He's horrible to his wife. Lies to his wife. He tries to get it on with teenage girls. He is problematic. Okay. I'm not saying he's not. (laughs) But I have to tell you, the biggest problem I have with him is how he sits in this scene. Yes. I just want to scream at the television for him to sit up. Well, the couch is eating him. I just sit up. (laughs) Sit up. He can barely drink out of his glass of wine because he's so slunched over like, in that chair. Honoria needs to get the finger out and be like, sit up. <laughs> Proper posture, Brian. So they're looking for a guest writer to bring. So, and they throw out all these crazy names like <laughs> Frank For- Max For- uh, yeah. Forsyth yeah. and a whole bunch of other people. And they settle on Max Jennings and Gerald freaks out. Yes, he does. He's like, no, I won't have him in my house. I mean, there's no subtlety here at all. And everybody else is so dense and self, self-involved self that they're like, well, let's just vote. I vote for him. Obviously, Gerald's Except traumatized. For Laura, who's completely in love with Gerald, who's yeah. like, anything Gerald says goes. Yes. <laughs> so they vote to contact him because uh, Brian has to get home to do his marking. What exactly does he mark in his little class? I don't know. Like, all they do is... Shake it out and improvise. Sticky tape. We'll get to that. One must assume that he teaches classes other than the one that we see. I I would assume so. We are transported. 
Yeah, because they write the letter to, to invite Max, Max Jennings. Jennings' house instantaneously. <laughs> He's married to Mrs. Hudson. And <laughs> she is phenomenal. Of course she is. First of all, I have a question. Carolyn Graham wrote this with, what's his name? What's the other guy's name? Anthony Horowitz. Anthony Horowitz. These are known writers, okay? Mm -hmm. They understand the publishing game, okay? Yep. How many books has Max Jennings sold? Because he lives in like a $5 million house. Well, I think we're supposed to think that he's a best-selling author. Like a, a Grisham kind of author. But still, he only talks about one book. Well, because that's his most recent. Was it Faraway Hills? I guess so. Yes, Faraway Hills. He's married to Selena, who's played by Una, Una Stubbs, who is, yeah, she's Mrs. Hudson in, in Sherlock. And she's... An absolutely over-the-top, insane, jewelry-wearing, swimsuit-wielding alcoholic. He so, says, "He says, isn't it a little early to be having a drink? She goes, well, I'm awake. She's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. <laughs> he gets the invite on the Midsummer Worthy Writer's Circle. Stationary. Stationary. Written by Brian because Gerald refused. Which is the following says the following. Oh my gosh, you looked at Mid that. Midsummer Worthy Writer Circle, The Bungalow, Midsummer Worthy, Near Coston, Midsummer. And Gerald's name is listed as chairperson. Yep. And so now he's like, hey, I'm on this because yeah. I want to talk to Gerald. And we don't know why. And Selena's guzzling tomato juice and vodka. <laughs> This scene, there's a comic by XKCD. I'll put a link in it in the in the show notes, but it's created a shorthand among us that when you talk about technical details of filming, like I do sometimes, because I teach some of this stuff, it's called Greenland. Yeah. Okay. I'm so I'm gonna go Greenland here. So for Mark a will ruin an episode or a movie by talking about some tiny little filming technique that nobody else notices that's greenland okay so we're in greenland right now okay this scene is so dark the entire thing is just well the whole episode is yeah, kind of dark the yeah. whole episode is kind of dark then he goes she, she goes why would you even want to go there and he goes as a matter of fact i do and then <laughs> he goes into his study and speaks to himself speaks to himself as a matter of fact I do. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So now we're whisked away to the Barnby's home, which looks nothing. No, wait. What? Okay. Because we we just talked about Max Jennings, and I can't not tell you. So you look on IMDb and you look up these people's names, right? The actor's name is John Shrapnel. Yep. Which is an action name if there ever was one. John Shrapnel. Okay. So I thought, ah, that can't be his real name. Who's got a cool last name like that? Lo and behold, it is his name. His parents were named Shrapnel as well. The, uh, the Yorkshire Shrapnel. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it does have an origin. Okay. The reason why his family name is Shrapnel is that he has an ancestor who invented the exploding cannonball. Wow. And changed his own name to Shrapnel. That's fantastic. Like, you invent something and then you say, you know what? I'm going to change my name. He has told that story to young women at parties. And they have swooned. Swooned. It just made me think, like, what could I invent that I would change my last name to? 
you know, <laughs> feel something so lame like app. <laughs> and then forever, our children and our grandchildren, our great great grandchildren would be app or app. something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of happened with my family, sort of, because I'm only tangentially related to Alexander Graham Bell, but. Yeah, but he his name was Bell before he invented things yes, that but included then, bells. But but then the company became Bell. So, yeah, so. yeah. But shrapnel, that's shrapnel fantastic, is, isn't it? And that that that's guts too. That's like, hmm, I'm going to change my name. Mm -hmm. It's like Colonel Sanders becoming Colonel Chicken Wing. <laughs> Captain Chicken Wing. Yeah. Next, we're on to the Barnaby house that looks nothing like the Barnaby house did before. No. And Kali shows up unexpectedly with a mute. No, no, hold up. Joyce <laughs> says, if somebody doesn't get murdered soon, you're going to get tetchy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you <laughs> In know. her new hair. Contributes to the theory that she's the one who arranges all these killings just to keep Tom busy but and engaged. So Cully and Brad show up. And okay. Brad's a director, but doesn't speak. Okay. I think they just didn't want to pay him. Clearly, <laughs> Brian is a lech and a horrible person, but Brad barges <laughs> into the house before Cully and it drives me insane. <laughs> so one guy has bad posture and the other one cuts in front of people. Oh, I cannot imagine doing that. It's just so horrible. You're so Canadian. And they bring Kelmowski, the kitten. Yes, who Brad in his shorts. Did yeah. you notice he well, was Well, they're wearing... about to travel. So yeah. Joyce and Tom are going to take care of, of Kilmowski. Yes. The idea is that Cully will bring him some vodka. Yeah. Because he's such a drinker. I guess. You never see that, but... Honoria heads off to the antique shop. The very dark antique Everything shop. thing is dark. Owned by Laura. It's just full of, you know, pie crust tables and... Laura Hutton crying her eyes out. Crying her eyes out. It's just allergies. No, Tom is allergies. Your unrequited love. Yeah, get it straight. Well, because, she, you know, she's seen the prostitute going to Gerald's house the night before. She's still upset. But she doesn't say that to Honoria. No. So she says she has some new newspapers from the 70s for Honoria, including the Navy News. Now, the Navy News... Does it is, exist? It does exist. Oh. It was found in 1944 and is still going today. It's a very well-respected Navy newspaper. I didn't know. It's the official newspaper of the Royal Navy. Well, Honoria likes it so much, she steals one. She just takes it. <laughs> and goes straight to Gerald's. Knock, 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 knock. But he's not home. Now, Gerald's house is Pulver's Rest. And a pulver... That was plover. Plover. Plover's rest. A plover is a plump-breasted bird of the shoreline bird family. I'm glad they're plump-breasted. So it's like a... It's like Robin's nest or something. Yeah. Right? Plump-breasted, kind of like Gerald later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Anoria goes over, knocks on the door, and Brian, who's getting back from... Annoying his students is like, the meeting doesn't start at 730. Yeah, because all of a sudden we are on the night of the writer's circle that Max Jennings is coming to. We have jumped time somehow. So then we switch to Brian who goes in the house 
and does nothing but criticize his wife. Yeah, he, he wants to go take a bath. He criticizes the dragon. He he criticizes her for uh, reading while he's out. And you should bring me some tea in my bath. Who? Okay, I don't know. It's a Brian thing. We're not UK people. No. We're not. But do you rush home after a day of leching at school to have a bath? <laughs> You're talking to a pretty narrow audience there. I, uh, Attention all lechers. Do you enjoy a bath right after work? Uh, it's just so You know, gross. this is one of the things I've never understood about UK homes. And folks can tell us in the comments, tweet us, whatever. But what is your problem with showers? Why is it always a bath? Well, it's because... There's no water pressure in the entire country. Who has time to fill a bathtub every time you need to get clean? Brian, apparently. Maybe that's why he's so filthy and gross all the time. Ugh, Brian soup. Ugh. Ooh, that's that may be the grossest thing you've ever said. Brian clapper soup. <laughs> <laughs> clapper soup. That's a thing now. So it's the night of the um, writer's circle. Max Jennings comes. and, and Hold on. Gerald meets with Amy and says, don't leave me alone right, with Max. Right, right. And then Max maybe delivers the, and we only get the tail end, but it may be the most boring talk we've ever experienced. Like, this is an exciting writer. He writes, like, thrillers and these big sweeping novels that are so moving. And yet his advice to them about writing is that writers need stamina and luck. Like, snorefest. And it's it's very practiced. It's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well... I'm sure a writer like like he is probably gives a lot of talks like that at signings and whatever. But it's not engaging. I can't it's imagine no, sitting around, you know, surrounded by people on sofas well, and stuff. Well, it certainly didn't get Brian to sit up. No, no. He's still slouching. And then he takes out a cigarette and starts to smoke. Which Honoria is going to hate. Yep. So there's so much going on under the scenes in this scene it's not really under anything it's super overt and awkward there's like any questions and there's crickets and staring and shifty eyes and then i have a question no you don't get to ask the question because honoria is going to say i'm writing a history of my family the lydiards like she totally interrupts so there's a point later on and we'll talk about it where she says that person is so rude She's rude. Oh, she's rude, rude. She and Brian can have a, a rude, rude-a-thon. <laughs> a rude-out or something. I can see who's rude. She's like, Amy, home. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the whole, like, leaving, right? So Amy has promised that she won't leave Gerald alone with Max. And she practically shoves Max out of the house. She does the right thing. If Amy had succeeded, if Max had not forgotten his gloves. People would still die. People would still die, but... <laughs> Maybe not Max. It would be Gerald who would be in... No, Gerald would survive. So Gerald okay. would live. If he Max did... would live. Yeah, everybody would live. No. Not everybody. Who wouldn't live? Well, Gerald would still be dead because Honoria kills Gerald, not because of Max, but because of the okay, newspaper. So, so Max would be alive, but not Gerald. Right. And then she would try to kill Amy, Amy. like she does at the end. But that would be like... Only that Max takes away would be saved. Yeah, yeah, Max would be saved. Yeah. Well, don't forget, though, that we get another Brian rant at the writer's circle where he says that writing is elitist, and he's always, like, rapping and improvising rapping. and snapping his fingers and blah, uh, clapper just, soup. 
Like, ugh. Gerald wants everybody gone. Honori is so mean. Gerald and Max get left alone together because he comes back for his gloves. His gloves in July? First. July the 1st of July. Yes. He needs gloves. I guess. That is so awkward and intentional. And then, so he comes back in and he asks for a chance of a nightcap, cap, a nightcap. And it actually turns to be that it's like they're almost tender to each other here. Well, I think Max wants to apologize for what he's done. And I, I, I think Gerald not, wants to kill him. Gerald wants to kill him. He's like, well, if you're here, I guess I have my opportunity. Because yep. he really did want to kill Max. Yes. And he wanted Amy to prevent that from happening. They give you this feeling that Gerald's afraid of Max, but what Gerald's actually afraid of is what he'll do to Max. Later he leaves drunk. He looks Stumbling drunk. around. Yeah. Gets in his car. And how we know this is because Laura the Creeper... She's skulking around. I I happen to be outside of Gerald's house every night. She's out. Brian's out. Like, really, everybody who lives on the square is out skulking around, hiding from each other in the middle of the night. And Brian comes home. It's really late. And he's trying to be quiet. And then somebody goes by the car yeah. on the other side. We don't know who it, no. who it is that goes by. We assume it's probably Laura since she's out skulking. But we find out later it's not Laura. And then we cut to the next morning with poor Mrs. Bundy. And the housekeeper arrives, and this is the first of many housekeeper findings of bodies. Do you notice she didn't change clothes between the first time she cleaned his house and the second time? Which is like a month apart. She has one costume, and that's what she has. It's that green, polka dotty, leafy top, whatever it is. She notices a couple of weird things. The wedding photo. goes down, the light is on. She walks by the portrait on the wall, and this is the first time we see the portrait, which, if anybody's paying attention, goes, oh, it's Liam. Yeah. And then she sees his naked feet. Yes. Ah! And then the candlestick, and then the empty wardrobe, and then she loses it. Troy asks her, well, did you go in the bedroom? Wait, 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 well, of wait. course I didn't go in. I'm sorry. I love that she the, screams at the, the interview <laughs> itself has to be dissected. But before we get there, so the Midsummer Constabulary arrive. Yeah. Now, they have a logo on (laughs) their car. You're such a nerd. Right? They have a logo on their car, and what animal is in the middle of that logo? A badger? It is a badger. Ah. That is a Midsummer trivia question. There you go. You you could win a prize with that one day. And I thought, oh, Barnaby's going to be less snarky and in this part no no as soon as they get inside troy's like it's just in here and barnaby's like oh with the blood and the police photographer i wouldn't have noticed yeah yeah and then mrs bundy freaks out no no we got bullard in his white suit and then there's people in green suits i don't understand the white suits and the green suits they go over the details in the movie then they interview the cleaning lady yeah and she but gerald is naked 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 Starkers. Now, one of our favorite things to talk about, because we watch a lot of murder shows, is corpse acting. And he certainly got a break, because all he had to do was keep his feet still. His feet and his sort of one butt cheek. No, it didn't even go up that high. I think it's like calf, maybe. Maybe. And they might not even be his. They could be somebody else. They could be. He might have had a foot double. It could possibly not even be Gerald. And you can hardly see that there's blood on the carpet because the rug is so busy. Yes. I was like, is that blood or is that the pattern? It's obnoxious. 
Barnaby and Troy asked the cleaning lady what happened. And then she says that she found him. And Troy says, did she go into the bedroom? And she goes, of course I didn't go in. But she clearly goes in. Well, like a step. Just far enough to see his feet. And then I think to follow the line of his feet up. Because she sees his head is obliterated. Yes. They can't even initially but she identify the, the body room. you have to admit she's in the room she, she crosses the threshold okay a double check she's in the room but if she didn't she couldn't do that line yes and it's of course i didn't bloody go in she overacts all over the place here <laughs> it's all fantastic it's just one of those infamous lines though it's a midsummer thing yep so they establish it's not robbery and that there's no car even though all the clothes are gone from that wardrobe that's standing empty, that Troy points out to Tom in case he missed it. Of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. Yeah. Okay. It's more to make sure that the viewer didn't miss it. Next, they interview Mrs. Clapper. And Sue. She, Sue is fantastic. She gives them coffee. First of all, she has coffee. And giant glasses. And she gives them a whole bunch of exposition. Yeah, she Included does. foreshadowing exposition. She says, we don't go to the really, uh, the Lilliards since Ralph died because the place is like a morgue. <laughs> Which it is. Hint, hint, hint. She gives them a ton of info and then she totally lies for Brian and yeah. lies very badly. Yeah, she says he, he went to bed and he didn't get back up again. Which we know he did. But she does solve what happened to Gerald's car. Yeah. It was um, stolen in Coston. Like, what, a week before? Yes. Right. On the infamous big-breasted night. The, big, the infamous <laughs> big-breasted night. So off we go to Coston. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. Which I, I tried to find uh, a link or a description of the school somewhere. But if you know where that school is, I'd love what pictures. School of, yeah, that they what use. A pitch, schools it actually is. Troy says he went there from '83 to '90, making him a child. And then, yeah, this is another Troy bad driving incident. But this is not bad driving. Bad driving is being slightly upset or tense or full of anxiety while you're driving. He drives on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, it's a little over the top, eh? And uh, they go and talk to the janitor for like two minutes, and then we never see the janitor again. No. I don't know why the janitor scene is there. It was just to establish that Troy went there to school, and he's remembered there. I guess. And so. then we see Brian in um, in his class. Is with, it in a gym? It's like a gym with a stage. I guess. Like multi-use room. He's got lots room. of risers. Yeah, he's got the risers out, and he's doing... Like shakeout exercises and voice exercises with his students. Typical drama teacher. Yep. Shaking it out. Yep. Pretend you have sticky tape on your fingers. Yeah. He's sweating profusely. We have to talk about the laugh. Well, we'll get to the laugh. Because he's already done it. But it's when he uses it in combination of reference to Edie that it gets really creepy. Before that, he's sweating and then he says, you have to reach out and reveal. <laughs> and then he says, get, in a, get into a dramatic pose. And Edie, who... The young blonde student, short skirt, midriff, all that good stuff. I have to say, the kids in this scene and all the kids' scenes 
They act very much like actual teenagers in class. You'd know because you teach high school. I teach high school, not like Brian. <laughs> and they, the way they talk, their cadence, their... The way uh, they taunt him. Taunt and... him and stuff is very much like actual high school students. They did a very good job there. He... Oh, he also has his t-shirt tucked into his sweatpants. Yeah, why is he wearing sweatpants? I... But he, he already has a sweat stain when they start the scene, right? Like mid-boob sweat stain. Yeah. But when he tells them to get into a pose, Edie throws her leg up around the waist of one of the male students and he kind of swoons. And Brian turns around and he's like, <laughs> yep. good. Brian Clapper, nice, nice boob pose. sweat soup. <laughs> nice pose, Edie. It's <laughs> so creepy. Uh, but then, then... I gotta tell you, he does a little bit of decent teaching. Yeah, he does. He does. With a coup de théâtre. Coup de théâtre. He clearly knows what he's talking about. It's his execution that's so gross, right? And they all get into character, and Edie kind of taunts him again, and he loses his guard, and then it's just chaos. Yeah. And then that's the moment when the the woman from the office... The principal, secretary, whatever, yeah. ...shows up and say that the cops are here. And he does some good acting there. Yeah. Right? And... He tries to kind of play it off like he would in front of your students. You don't so want them to be alarmed. When they tell him Gerald's dead, he actually reacts He's, like a person who did not kill Gerald. Yeah, I think so too. But then he says the weirdest thing. <laughs> he says... When Troy asks him something. I forget exactly what. And he goes... My yay is my yay, and my nay is my nay. Because he's answered the question already, and they're asking him again. And he turns to say, Inspector, to Barnaby, like, I'm done talking to you. And my yay is my yay, and my nay is my nay is a reference to Matthew 5.37. Oh, it's a biblical reference. Yeah, from the King James Version. He's well-read. He is. He knows French theater terms, like coup de théâtre. He knows his Bible. But he seemingly doesn't care about his wife or anything but his own sort of... Gross lechiness. Yes. And his rapping and improvising. Yes. So his wife sends a message, but it's too late that the cops are coming. Yeah. She doesn't... She He doesn't know whether she's lied for him or not and given him an alibi. But then we go to Gresham House and we get to see Honoria in her home environment and she is a little bit prickly. She is. They walk up and she thinks they're soliciting something or other. And she's like, can't you read my sign? No hawkers, no circulars. Now, the sign is maybe, what, five inches by five inches. It's like a gray with gray lettering on it. And her giant bob haircut is is blocking it anyway. I don't know how they could have ever seen this tiny sign on this big house. She says, go where I'll call the police. Barnaby's like, we are the police, and they go inside and talk. She says, I didn't know Gerald. No one knows Gerald. Amy says, I made us cocoa. We had cocoa and went to bed. She is nasty to Amy immediately. Like, she treats Amy like a servant, even though it's her sister-in-law. And I have a question. It it later comes out that Amy has no money. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why Amy has no money. So she married Ralph, who was the older brother of Honoria. Mm-hmm. So he would have the bulk of the estate. Do you think he would have inherited everything and she'd have the money and Honoria would be mooching off of her? 
and they have a place in Spain, mm-hmm. which is where he dies. Well, they were trying to make a life in Spain, she says. Houses in Spain don't come cheap. Well, you don't know. They could have been in a shack in Spain. Uh, Do you know for sure that Honoria is younger than Ralph? It wouldn't have mattered. It's the male heir. Well, that's not always true in every family. I would think I would think that even if he did die, he would have left some money to Amy. To Amy. It's pretty young. Suppose. When he died. She's been living there for a while. I guess. So then she says to Troy that... Oh, she just gets up. Oh, yeah. She's just done. I'm done. And... Barnaby's she, like, you got to stay around and answer some more questions. And she says, this is her pitch. Yeah. So she says the Lydiards are part of the very warp and woof of England. They are beyond reproach. And leaves. And leaves. And Troy goes, the warp and what? And she goes, woof. And leaves. <laughs> How they film that without <laughs> laughing. I do not know. Because... Anna Massey chews up that whole scene. She does. She's so good. She just must have been crazy. Amy says it's all her fault. She was supposed to keep them apart from each other. She promised. She promised. So the main suspect now is Max, and Max is nowhere to be seen. Uh, Honoria watches Barnaby and Troy leave from the window of a of a locked room Mm -hmm. that we will investigate later. Next comes the last and I think the better scene with Selena Jennings. They go to see Max's wife and they do the best interview of a drunk housewife (laughs) ever because she has an entire bar sitting next to her. She has a booze cart. It's on wheels. Yeah. Right. She says Max is big in Denmark. Mm -hmm. Okay. She slurs her words so well. Like, she knows what drunk people sound like and introduces... Bouncing Barbara. Bouncing Barbara Neal. And when she says Neal, she kind of looks on the ground like, oh, she kneels. (laughs) But then Troy does the handling melons every time he says Bouncing Barbara. is this hands out in front of him. Right in the middle of the interview, she basically says, I don't know what this has to do with me. She gets up, takes off her wrap, and dives in the pool. Yeah. In her jewels. In her jewels. Barnaby and Troy head back to town. They need to stop and buy a book. Barnaby says, stop here. And Troy doesn't pull into a parking spot or up on the curb. Or even slow down and put on his blinkers. He just slams to a halt. Slams to a halt. Guy goes around him. Yeah, idiot! And... They go the they will go by the book that Max Jennings wrote at the bookstore. So Joyce can read it. Yes. Because Barnaby's not gonna read it. No. Barnaby's not there. Not going to read it. Read it. And we go back to a candlelit dinner at the Barnaby's. They eat on with candlelight a lot. Where Tom comes down with cooties. Is this a normal thing in England? I don't know. Eating Well Cully's there. No, Cully's not there. Cully's in Poland. Maybe they're for the cat. Maybe. <laughs> but this is the first time that Barnaby's got the crazy cootie itch thing going on. But uh, so there's a great Barnaby characters thing here where he says there was no photos of the woman, Gerald's wife, anywhere in the house. Just the one photo. And Joyce is like, well, how many photos do you have of me? And he goes, I have two in my wallet. And you just, oh, he's just the nicest man in the world. <laughs> 
Where's the cat? They go off to bed. I'm not ever going to let the cat sleep in the bed. And then there we go. Joyce is reading the book and the cat's in the bed. You know, what's funny about the cat is that Kelly says it's part Russian blue. We also have a cat who's part Russian blue. Her name's Telly. But um, Russian blues are known for being kind of hypoallergenic in terms of cats. Yes. Like if you have some allergies to cats, that's what they suggest you get. If you don't get one of those crazy, ugly, hairless cats, those sphinx cats, Russian blues are second best. So it's funny that Kilmowski gives him a rash. He's allergic. So we return to Sandalwood Cottage, which is the clappers. Mm. And we see a lot of Brian skin. Ugh. Just, I don't want to see Brian's skin. I don't want to think about Brian's soup. I'm going to give you some marriage advice to all the people listening. If the person you're married to is going out after you're in bed and not telling you where, this is a bad thing. Yeah. Maybe she's just happy to see him go. <laughs> she's like, where were you? And he was like, I was out. And so he, he mentions, uh, he asks about Barnaby. Here and he calls him Dixon of Doc Green. Yeah. So what's that a reference so to? So it's a reference to a, a television show in England in the fifties to the seventies. It lasted a long time about a constable in London who was named Dixon. He's a constable who kind of solves all the crimes, and mm. you know his superiors aren't exactly sure what's going on this is what i got from reading because doesn't he say dixon of doc green and his fascist sidekick or something like that yeah so um that's what happens and that's what dixon and doc green is brian goes out again we never actually find out where brian is going not those two times not the night of the murder or that night he's going out for a walk 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 It sounds like wank, but... No, he actually says wank later on. Yeah. <laughs> Next day, police canteen. Gerald's missing car has been found. Max Jennings is... Missing. Missing still. Let's go talk to Bouncing Barbara, right? So you have to <laughs> As do... As you do the hand you gestures. You have to do the hand gesture. <laughs> and they go to talk to Barbara Neal, who... Is young and beautiful and clearly sort of terrified and bad at lying. But I'm glad they didn't do, like, she's got a low cut top on no she's not vivacious or anything no person yeah uh she says max was afraid of gerald so now we're like wait a minute okay gerald's afraid of max he doesn't want to be left alone with them no wait a minute max is afraid of gerald and then troy says maybe they were afraid of each other yeah (laughs) in his wisdom troy asked if laura and gerald were banging each other to which (laughs) Barnaby's like, you have such a picturesque turn of phrase. Well, this is the second episode in a row. He said banging. Yes. No, or it was bonking. bonking. Sorry. This is banging. Sorry. They've moved on to the more 90s term of banging from yeah. bonking. <laughs> and then Barnaby says, I'll drive. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we're talking to Laura Hutton, who gives up Honoria right away. Oh, yeah. Right? That she stole the newspaper. From June 78. And says she wasn't banging Gerald. She passes the house in the middle of the night. Because she couldn't sleep. She's a bad sleeper. It's what you do. She's a creeper. She's not a bad sleeper. She's a stalker. Okay. I mean, who? if I can't sleep, the last thing I'm going to do is get dressed and go outside and walk around. To my boyfriend's house. To look in his window. Multiple nights. <laughs> she sees a woman get out of a cab, goes up to the door... Has a key to the door, goes in. 
clearly a prostitute. You could tell by the way she walked. Clearly a prostitute. Because they have that walk. They have that walk. Even though it's a giant prostitute, a like gi- a six-two like, prostitute. G- it's Gerald in high heels, and he has to bend down to go in the door. And then she goes, and this is a weird bit of writing. She goes, I was aroused. Well, not aroused. I'm like... Alert or something alert. like that. Curious. Like, why yeah. was that even in there? She didn't want to sound like she was I interested. And then she goes, no, I was not angry. <laughs> in the most angry tone that she can, she says she wasn't angry. She goes, a matter of fact, I saw Max Jennings leave drunk. The light went upsta- went out upstairs. And then she saw Brian Clapper. This is the next night. And she goes, I don't want to be seen outside of Gerald's house in the middle of the night. Then don't go there. People might misunderstand it. Because you're a creeper. <laughs> they go to interview Brian Clapper. And he gives up the name of the play. <laughs> That's the best piece of information he gives up. This is another, like, it's a it's a Brian gem. Slang Wang for five mute voices. It's only a working title. Just a working title. Slang Wang. I guess. Yeah. No, it's Slang Wang. Slang Wang? That's what I thought it was. That's what I thought it was, too. Okay. What is a Slang Wang? I, I looked it up. I couldn't find any references to Slang Wang except a guy on Facebook who has a very unfortunate name. <laughs> so this is where when he says, uh, Troy says, where were you? He goes, I went for a wank. I mean, a walk. Yeah. So they and, guess that he's off looking in Edie's window or something. Brian has another class. Edie talks to him after class and gets all creepy. Yeah. She wants, she needs to talk to him. Uh, she, but then he puts his arm around her and touches oh, her bare skin, and it's just de- like, she, oh, not touching students. Let's alert. Back to the Barnaby House. Joyce loves the book. It's about a young Irish boy. He can uh, connects to the beginning of the episode. Right. There's sexual Liam. abuse. He runs away, and he's painted in a historical dress, which leads us to the painting by an artist who's rescued him. But then the phone rings to interrupt Joyce's reading to say that Max Jennings is dead. Yes. And has been for about two days. They go to find Max Jennings in the cottage by the sea and they find Bullard. Barnaby calls him out and says, what are you doing here? (laughs) And George is like, well, it's my case, and I fancied a day by the sea. <laughs> well, because it's it's one of those, you know, kind of tropes of a of a show like this that you just wonder, like, are these the only two detectives in the entire country? I mean, I know that the county is big, but there have got to be other detectives in the county other than Tom, but apparently not. Some very good dead body acting here. Very good, though he breathes. He does. But, but he keeps his eyes super still, he, and that's he hard to do. He does. He does some good dead body acting. He's a professional. Yeah. Shrapnel. <laughs> they go over the case again yeah. as, as they're driving. Barnaby does that mid-game wrap-up like he did in the in Badger's Drift. I'm glad they've stopped that. Yeah. They, it seems too early, too, to be like, oh, here are all the players. One of them is the killer. Exactly. But they go back and see Barbara and they confront her. They take her to the station and confront her. And she admits that um, Max was waiting at the cottage for her. Maxie. Yeah, Maxie. He wasn't going to Denmark after all. That was just a lie for Selena. And that Barbara was supposed to meet him at the cottage um, so they could have some time alone together because they've been having an affair. But when she got there, he was dead. And so she left. She ran away instead of reporting the body. Yes. 
He threatens her with obstruction. And next we're moving on to Gerald Hadley's solicitor, which is the fantastic character, James Joycelyn. Well, but between those two, so Barnaby's got this rash, right? That's getting worse and worse. And he's always so calm. But when they're leaving, it's just the itch is too much for it. And all of a sudden he kind of like bends over on the path and yells, God damn it, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Wait until he has some of the marijuana oh the brownies the brownies yeah in the later episode that's funny yeah they go and see jocelyn the lawyer now i have to say okay he's an awesome actor and he is the only recurring character who appears in three episodes playing the same character who isn't part of the cast the main cast he plays the same character he does he plays um the same uh lawyer in written in blood right which is in 98 and then in death's shadow in 99 and in orcus fatalis in 2005 and he's all the same lawyer he's the lawyer of costin apparently so yeah i have to tell you this i was very excited to find this out so timothy bateson the guy who plays jocelyn the awesome eccentric lawyer he was the voice of the worm in the labyrinth the little one with the little blue scarf okay. that says, come in, meet the missus. Yep. Does the voice of that. And he also does the voice of the guards in the labyrinth where um, Sarah's in front of the two doors and the, the they're kind of like playing cards almost yeah. with heads top and bottom. Yeah. One of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. And they give her the riddle. Yep. He does the voice for them too. Oh, Labyrinth was one of my favorite movies as a kid. As it should be. So we find out that Gerald's stinking rich. Yeah. He's got like two and a half million pounds in cash. He's got a bunch of paintings. He's richer than that, okay? Jocelyn says that we know he's got an apartment in London. And Joyce has already told us that this apartment looks over at the Albert Hall, right? We get that reference from the book. So Jocelyn says that he's got this like two and a half million that he's giving for scholarships. That's like the bulk of his estate, right? So I went on the old uh, inner tubes and tried to find an apartment that was as close to Albert Hall as that apartment later Excellent. is revealed to be. Yes. 5.5 million. 5.5 million pounds. In 1998. In 1998. Yeah. So Gerald had some bling. He had some money and money. apparently uh, got undercut for this apartment because it was worth about twice as much as they estimated it to be. <laughs> I would have thought he would have got some better lady clothes then. Yeah, you'd think that butterscotch colored dress and bad oh, wig he needed better there's no accounting for taste though. i guess no. he might have had a lot of money and no taste so he leaves the painting for lauren and then he leaves amy a hundred thousand pounds booyah booyah she can get away from honoria so we're off to gresham hall to tell amy she can get away yeah oh my gosh she's so happy she's going to be rescued from honoria even though honoria nursed ralph back to health we don't we don't know what happened well, to she, ralph she didn't successfully no. nurse him back to health. She took care of him until he died. No. And we learned that Honoria was in the study, not in bed. Right. Like she said. On the night yeah. that Gerald died. She says that she hates it here. And then they call Honoria out on stealing the newspaper. Honoria very carefully shows him the paper, which has... The HMS Lester. The HMS Lester on it. Ralph's boat. Yeah. only shows that to him. And, you know... Tom is good. Tom is smart and he's observant 
and why he doesn't notice that she so carefully and deliberately folds it over and then hands it to him in a way that suggests thou shalt not unfold this paper. Well, he does. He, he gets in his brain. He just, you know. He, but he doesn't realize it's until the later. allergies. He's yeah, not he, thinking he's straight. He's got the coot, cat cooties, I he's guess. He's got the cat cooties. Yeah. So then they leave and Honoria's insanity is really shown. Here. She takes over cutting the vegetables for dinner. The the, the vegetables. Whatever the, that the, thing what, is. What, what was it? Daikon radish. That's, That's the what closest it was. thing we guess that is that she's cutting. But she starts talking about blood, blood and bone. Blood and bone. Okay, because Amy is cutting vegetables for dinner. Let's Honoria take over. And then when crazy Honora has a gigantic knife in her hand, that's the time Amy decides to tell her, I've just inherited a lot of money and I'm leaving. By the way, I'm out of here. Yeah. Because no, Honoria is not going to be mad. No. <laughs> like, no. Like, you're not the boss of me. And, and we see the psycho light in her eyes for the first time. Absolutely. Blood and bone, bone and blood. Barnaby and Troy find the cabbie that drove... Gerald home, but yeah. we don't know it's Gerald. She was an ugly woman. But she had awesome legs. Yeah. <laughs> she had lots of makeup. At this point, the penny drops for Barnaby and he figures it out. Yeah, because they know where the car was stolen from and it just happened to be near a certain club. But Troy does not understand what's going on. He's like, so this woman went to his house and stole all his clothes? Why would she do that? <laughs> So they go... Well, because they haven't been able to figure out why Gerald didn't report his car missing as soon as it was stolen and why he reported it later. And now we understand why he didn't report it right away because he was in drag and didn't want to call the police while he was in drag. Exactly. So they go to the gay nightclub. First of all, the moment they step in the gay nightclub, the theme of Midsummer is being played in a sultry saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> There's HIV and AIDS flyers, clear condom information, and statues of bare-chested men. Mm. Okay? Then the barman, that's how he's referred to yeah. in the credits, shows up and says, we're not open. Clearly a we're, transvestite. We're not open. It should have been, as Eddie, you said, it Eddie should have Izzard. been Eddie Izzard. Yeah. So. He would have been great in that little bit part. <laughs> transported to the Barnaby's bedroom and Tom thinks that Troy may have had a seizure. Yeah. <laughs> Did they ever tell us what the name of the club was? Nope. Name oh, of the club is not given. That's an opportunity missed. Yep. It must have been great. Brian Clapper's boob sweat. I don't know what it's called. So. <laughs> but we get we go back to Joyce and Tom going to bed and where's the cat? Well, the cat's in his bed. Kilmowski is trying to kill Barnaby. Yes. With the, the allergies. He's absolutely trying to kill Barnaby. Brian, so, oh, this is where it gets crazy. Let's cover it fast because it grosses it's, me out. It's so gross. Brian goes to the estate to see Edie in her house, which is a total setup. She's mixing him drinks. She's got a short leather skirt on. It's a total honey trap. They take a bunch oh. of pictures of him. Who takes the pictures? Who is that I man outside the window? It's know. not one of the students. It's know. a grown man. And then a package arrives the next morning with the pictures in it, and he realizes he's in trouble. Yeah. And Sue's talking to him about all kinds of other things, and he suddenly says, You shall shut up! He's just so mean to her. Well, he's freaking out. He is. Bullard reports back that Jennings died from the wine. 
the wine which had thallium sulfate in it. Yes. Right? So, and the wine that he drank at Gerald's house. Yes. Because, okay, so thallium sulfate, if you don't know, um, it used to be used for rat poisoning. But um, in the U.S., we banned it in 1975, and the U.K. did about the same time. Because, quote, it's indiscriminate killing. Oh, nice. It's flavorless, it's tasteless, it's colorless, it quickly dissolves, and it has this nice delayed effect. And we see Gerald keeps it in his cupboard with his spices. Yeah, so it would have been outlawed in the UK 20 years before. Well, you know, as a gender bender, maybe he needed it. (laughs) Gender bender, as Troy says. As Troy says. The other thing, though, so I was kind of nervous even looking up thallium sulfate. like And the death of your spouse. Yeah, (laughs) like... How many how many mysteries have we watched where somebody's Google history has been used against them? Well, she I'm conven- not drinking wine. Right? <laughs> She's conveniently looking things up the night before. Um, but the the thing about thallium sulfate that's interesting is that so it only takes about an eighth of a teaspoon to make somebody sick and about a quarter of a teaspoon to kill them. So it doesn't take a whole lot. But the way that thallium sulfate it kind of became sort of the the cyanide of its time in terms of fiction. Mm -hmm. It became super, super popular as a way to kill people because it was colorless, tasteless, odorless. And for a while, wasn't really detectable because of the symptoms being so delayed. And then they look like a lot of other things when they start. So it's like stomach upset, neurological problems, headaches, you throw up. Yeah, stumbling. Bonking, All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Barbara. And... It actually was used to kill a few people in real life. And a lot of people point their finger and blame Agatha Christie for that. Oh. Because in, do you remember The Pale Horse? Yep. Um, which is the book that Christie wrote in 61. Where That's there's the one with the witches. The witches, exactly. They're using thallium sulfate to poison people because it looks like witchcraft. Because all of a sudden these people come down with these mysterious ah. ailments and it's delayed. And I bet you they can construct cure them instantly there is uh you can't i can't remember what it is now but there's a a chemical that you can give somebody if you know for a fact that they've been poisoned with any kind of thallium salt there is a um an agent you can give them that kind of nullifies the impact pretty quickly because it takes it up like potassium in your body that's how thallium tricks your body yeah but after christie published that book which was of course hugely popular and it was everywhere there was this big increase in thallium poisoning. Oh. And everybody said it was her fault. Niall Marsh put it in a book before her, but it wasn't as it wasn't a big as selling. Yeah. So we can blame uh, Agatha Christie for Gerald. Maybe he was an Agatha Christie fan. Maybe. Yeah, he was a writer. He was. Maybe he had the, the thallium as a, a fan thing. <laughs> you know, because you do. Agatha Christie, official Thallium sulfate. Poisoning kit. Yes. Yeah. Brian heads off to school, and it's not good. No, that, that's, that whole scene. They is... demand five grand because he's a middle-class dude. I don't... I don't they I pretend don't... the honey trap was part of their coup de theater. They have his boxers, though. So the pictures yeah. only show him topless, but he must have... And so this is where it gets into problematic terms, because what did Edie do with him? Okay, Enough that he was naked. Enough that he was naked. And that's a long way to go for a joke. Yeah. Or even 
blackmail that she'll then have to share with everybody else. And he yells at them, calls them scum. He loses it. And they say, we're going to have to go to plan B. And they post the pictures. To the same sign that we see in the opening scene. And Brian does his weird laugh. And that is the last we see of Mr. Brian Clapper. And, you know, he's horrible. He gets his just desserts. But what happens now? Like, I hope Sue publishes her dragon book and goes on to be a bestseller. And, and leaves his ass. Leaves his ass and finds a person of indeterminate gender who loves her. Yeah. And Hector. Yes. So we head off to Albert Hall and park right out front. <laughs> yeah. So, I, again, I did some research here. Where they park their car, yeah, that's not a place where you can drive at no, all. No. No. You really can't walk, drive up to the Albert Hall at all except on one side where they, like, load things. But they're driving all over the place. Oh, yeah. They pull right up on that little bridge with the stairs. Because it's, it's, an it's an emergency to get into this empty apartment. Yeah. So they go in. Barnaby's like, go this way, go that way. They're trying to figure out what happens. They realize that it's from the book and that Barnaby's putting this all together. And then the the show kind of shows its age in two ways here. The first way, Barnaby says he's a transvestite or a transsexual, whatever the term is. Those are all very different things mm-hmm. than homosexual. Yeah. And, and whatever Gerald was, it's Gerald's choice. And we respect that choice. But... Transsexual and transvestite are not the same thing. No. And they are not the same thing as homosexual. But they also don't have Gerald to ask. They don't have Gerald to ask. And and I just was like, oh, Tom, you almost did it. Yep. And they figure out that Max Jennings essentially stole his life story. Because he, So Max was a psychiatrist before he became a writer. And it's clear that he based this book that's currently a bestseller on Gerald's life that he only knows about because Gerald saw him as a psychiatrist. So that's just such a breach of confidentiality. Yeah. Troy says, I'd kill him if he did it. And then a constable shows up with more drag and they go, what a surprise. Now, Troy loosens up a little bit because he tries to drag on. Well, he doesn't try it on. He holds it up to him. He holds it up to him. So at least he's, he's, he's helping. And they find the Navy news, the exact the same, same Navy news. Yeah. And with a badly photoshopped picture, we see Gerald and Ralph. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Suddenly the connection is made. So one thing that confused me in the apartment, and we're nitpicking. That's what we do. We look, we're maniacs. So we watch really, really closely, right? They, they say that these, these portraits that were done of Gerald by this artist who sort of rescued him are really, really valuable, right? So Gerald has one, the portrait that we've seen over and over again, that's clearly Liam. Gives to Lauren. Laura, yeah. Yes. Um, he bequeaths it to her. But there are like four more in the apartment. Yep. So how many did this painter paint if he had enough to sell that were worth so much money and yet still five of these portraits. Gerald like, had the bling. He like, had a lot of no, money. No, I'm just wondering, like as an artist, how much of a career can you have if you only ever paint one person in different costumes and you keep five of them? I don't know. And where does the artist go? That is a huge ginormous. He's dead. 
but how does he die? And like, I, I wondered what happened with the artist. In his Rococo apartment. So one of the things they say as they're going into the apartment is it's storming or there's a storm coming. Yeah. Because we're now back at Castle Frankenstein. In Gresham Hall. Yeah. We got to go confront Honoria. First of all, earlier in the episode, Troy asked Barnaby if he's seen Frankenstein. Who has not seen Frankenstein? Yeah, Barnaby says no. And then later on, now, is it Tom or the new guy who is the Hammer fan? The new guy. It's the new guy. It's okay. John okay. Barnaby okay. who's the Hammer okay. fan. Okay. Yeah. So it, it might be okay, but he's, he's not seen Frankenstein. But then, okay, Frankenstein, not a lot of it happens in a castle. No. It, there, there is a castle. With the, she's, he's alive, he's alive, right? But a majority of it happens in a windmill. And, like, it's not, it's not a movie with an eerie castle. But Troy, Troy's not real smart. No. It's not like he's, you know. No. I mean, he could have said it looks like Dracula's castle, but it, there's lightning. Yes. So. So back we go to Castle Frankenstein, Gresham Hall. Where and Amy, Amy is making a run for it. And she finds Gerald's stuff. Right. The suitcase that Honoria has packed the night she killed Gerald with all of his drag clothes because she doesn't want anybody to discover that Ralph and that Ralph Gerald and Gerald were gay and that were, they had had a relationship. We're doing the gay stuff in Turkey. What does Gerald say? He had me and I had him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you go, Gerald, yes. you tell her. He's like standing up for himself. And then she whacks him with a candlestick. This is where the lighting makes sense. With Honoria in the It being storm. so dark, yeah. And she calls him my darling Ralph. She goes to see Gerald. This is all told in sort of past tense. So disgusting. She goes nuts and kills him. And, and then, then strips him naked. And then says she, that Amy should have died too. She, she stripped Gerald naked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And After bludgeoning him in the head with a candlestick so much that they hardly recognized him, she took off all his clothes. Which I don't understand. Like, as a person, it's difficult to take off clothes of somebody who's asleep. Not that I have any experience doing that. But, <laughs> but I would imagine it's It's difficult. difficult as a woman to take off an evening dress and tights and everything else when they're on my own I bet body. he had hose on, too. I know he did. They showed that yeah. he had pantyhose on. So never mind taking them off somebody else. But, you know, if you're going to go to that extent, you may as well put some shorts on him so that it doesn't look so suspicious. So Gerald had all these women's clothes. A whole wardrobe full. A whole wardrobe full. And what he had on. And yet she takes the middle suitcase and puts it all in it. Yeah. Well, she's a good packer. I guess so. The Lydiards are above reproach. The, uh, I guess. What follows is the slowest chase of two old ladies in the house ever. Because Honoria loses her Shit. So Amy takes <laughs> off and Honoria follows, shuffling along. They're both shuffling. It's not the best filmed chase scene. Yeah, because Honoria is doing the slow, steady walk of the killer. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't have to hurry because you're never going to get away from me. And for some reason, Amy goes, no, I'm not going to go outside. No. The many doors that must lead out of that house. Instead of going outside, I'm going to go to the locked room and find the secret of the locked room. I don't, I don't... When I, a killer is chasing you, never go up. Yes. Go out. Go out. 
out and we weave. Yeah, zigzag. Back and forth, zigzag. Like, a, like a crocodile's chasing you. <laughs> but it's just Sonoria. She gets the key. She opens the room. She goes in, shuts the door, and finds the shrine. To really, Ralph. It's the Ralph's tomb. Bed- it's Ralph's bedroom. Yes. And we find Ralph. Yeah. Which, now, that's a pretty good fake dead body. It's not bad. It's not bad. We only see him. We see his hands and his skull. The rest is covered in clothes. It's but. like, um, uh, it's Psycho. Yes, it's very much it's like that. It's Bates. It's so, Mrs. Bates. We can only assume that Honoria brought the body back to England and didn't take it to the undertaker or a doctor or anything. Put it in this bed and has been caring for it ever, ever since. since. Then Honoria breaks the door right out of the shining. Yes, she does. Because, you know, it's this great big manorial house with doors made out of cardboard. And she goes through it like wet paper. Yeah. With what? A because, knife. I don't know. She's because got she, a knife. She sets something down. I don't know what it is. It's not an axe. But then she sticks her face in the door, like clearly. Here's Anoria. Here's Anoria. <laughs> and she does look really scary. She does. She's got those eyes. So she reaches in, she opens up the door, and she says to Amy, You're going to jump out the window. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Amy's like, and No. And Amy's like, No, I'm going to fight. There's going to be scratches. People will know. And Honoria says, I don't care. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so then. Like all bets are off. Honoria has lost her shit. This is it. This is the big fight. Amy makes her dexterity check. Dodge. Dodges uh, Honoria, who goes straight out the window. Yep. Onto the ground. Onto the ground. In the rain. In the rain. Amy suddenly teleports downstairs. But wouldn't you? I guess. Because now the police are there. Just as Barnaby and Troy show up. Like, like Honoria's head hits the concrete, bonk, and Troy pulls up. They just missed it. And we get the final penny, which is Ralph had AIDS. Yeah. Well, if you read the subtitle, he had eggs. He had eggs. Yes. <laughs> which is all the, why all this time Honoria keeps saying, it's your fault. You should have died to Amy because Amy didn't contract it, obviously, which tells you a lot about their relationship. I don't. I don't think it was a, a true marriage. I think they were partners. And So maybe Amy and her $100,000 and Sue Clapper should just go off and make the book. Yeah. That should, would be a fantastic They should just ending. go off and be happy. Exactly. I've got a question for you. Yes. Which corpse is the best corpse in this episode? Is it Gerald, Max, or Honoria? Well, okay, so... Because Ralph is out of the running, I have to say, because Ralph would be the best corpse. Yes, and and Liam's father doesn't count because no, we, don't we don't actually see, see his corpse. Right, so Gerald, Max, and Honoria, who's the best corpse? I gotta say Max. Why? Because his eyes. He does the eyes The bloodshot, so nasty... He does the eyes so well, and he doesn't move a, like a stitch. Yeah. He's not dead guy in a crop circle, but he, <laughs> That's he's pretty later. good. Yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah. I agree with you. I think uh, I think Max Max is pretty good, though. I got to give the foot double some cred. Yeah, the foot double was pretty good. <laughs> Honoria just lies there, like she and breathes. Be, she also breathes. She could be well. 
you know. She's probably still breathing because yeah. she just fell. If they'd gotten there 30 seconds later, maybe she would have fallen on Troy. Could have been. That would have been interesting. Gender bender. Or she would have fallen on the, the hood of the car. We end up at the Barnaby house with the big reveal that Tom allergic. is allergic to cats, which we all knew already. They just leave the back door wide open. People do that. Okay. Are there no bugs in England? Apparently not. If you, you watch all the home improvement shows in the UK, they're constantly putting those big accordion bifold doors in their back. And like, look, this room is half inside and half outside. Like, yeah, and so are all the bugs. They don't seem to mind. Apparently the cat goes in and out. I did notice that Barnaby has a boots bag. So he's been to the pharmacy. He's, yeah, he's been, he's been to the chemist. He's got the medicine. Yeah. Because he's got cooties from the cat. That's the end of that episode, which I, I got to say is not as strong as the pilot. But it's got scumbag. It has, it has Brian as, Clapper. As unnecessary as Brian's whole storyline is, it is iconic. It, it is. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth because, yes, he gets his dis desserts, but I want to know what happens to Sue. Okay, you're so sentimental. But the reason why it leaves a bad taste in your mouth is because Brian is so thoroughly gross, and that's because of a great actor playing a really well-written part. Fantastic actor. Yeah, he is thoroughly scumbag. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, whenever we see him, we yell out scumbag. Like, not on the street or anything. We don't see him on the street. But but when we see him in other shows. We go, scumbag! Scumbag! We say it lovingly. Yes. And Anna Massey... Goes on to play another role in Midsummer, where she's not a psychopath. Now, Anna Massey is in Morse. She's in Lewis. She hasn't been in Endeavor yet. She's been in two Midsummers. She won't be in Endeavor because she's dead. Oh, she's dead? Yes. I didn't know she, she was died dead. in 2011. She's dead. It would be weird if she was. Oh, that, that, yeah. She'd be playing the Ralph role. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> Anna Massey's dead? Yeah. Oh, that's... It's sad. I thought she was still alive. No, she had a long, long career. But she shows up. It's interesting that the the next episode she shows up in, I forget the name of it. Secrets and Spies. Secrets and Spies also has another doctor in it. Oh, there's a teaser for us. There's a teaser for you. So if you disagree with us about who the best corpse was, or if you noticed anything else interesting about uh, Written in Blood, feel free to leave us a comment. We will fill out the show notes with all the things that we mentioned, so have a good look in there. And What's our next episode? Our next episode is Death of a Hollow Man, which uh, Joyce has a rough one. Joyce has been pretty good so far. She's made some bad food. That one's been in the news, too. Yes, and that's been in the news. Yes, yes. Uh, Death of a Hollow Man is next week, uh, and I will say goodbye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs.
so, 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 uh, I gotta stop saying that. So, yeah. I gotta stop saying so. <laughs> so, 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 yes, so. So, 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 so they, so, so, um, so, so, so when, so, 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 and so, 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 she, uh, so, 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 so.